Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Say hello to somebody. And uh, thank you for coming back. It says out on the front of our uh, building on the marquee, feed your faith with God's Word, starve your doubt. And these are days for us to build our faith. Don't be shaken in your faith. We talked about the power of prayer this morning, and in your bulletin, there's a great uh, section by Dr. Lee Robertson, who was our friend and now is in heaven. The Bible does not waste time in arguing the effectiveness of prayer, but simply tells us to pray, to pray without ceasing, and so on. And I've asked our people to take each one an hour of the day and pray around the clock. And so Brother Ron took midnight, and uh, Sister Virginia took 3 a.m., and others took 4 and 5 and 6 and around the clock. And if you wake up, if you're wakeful at night, then use that time to pray. Let's pray around the clock and let's believe God for a Second Chronicles 714 revival. I believe we have a great opportunity. Instead of being fixated on all that can go wrong, let's focus on Jesus Christ and let's take Him at His Word and let's claim the promise that we can have revival. If God's people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That forgiveness, that uh, repentance, that turning is necessary. But I believe that God can do something great in these days. And so don't, uh, don't panic. We don't want to go into panic mode. We do want to be prepared. And uh, what I want to be prepared for, not the Antichrist, I want to be prepared for the for the, not the undertaker, but the upper taker. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming again. And I'm looking forward to seeing my loved ones. And I'm looking forward to eternity with my Savior, Jesus Christ. How about you? Amen? Amen. So these are exciting days. Don't, uh, don't allow the devil, don't allow the world, don't allow the flesh to take from you anything that, uh, that you might be able to to present to Jesus Christ as a crown casting at His feet, uh, receiving a reward for faithfulness. Faithfulness is what it is all about. I want you to take your Bibles with me tonight. We're going to turn to the book of Joel. Let me just say this about the book of Joel. Unless you have read your Bible through or you've been in a study uh, of the minor prophets or your pastor or some preacher uh, maybe some fire breather evangelist uh, has preached from the minor prophets and major prophets. Most people do not know what's in the book of Joel or Joel. Joel is uh, one of the minor prophets, number 29 book of the Old Testament out of 39. And it is uh, just a rich book because uh, a uh, calamity, uh, a natural disaster as we would look at it through the through the natural eye, has occurred, and this has caused a foreboding among the people of that time. And Joel addresses that by inspiration. The calamity is uh, just a, a terrible plague of locusts has uh, moved in and destroyed every green thing, as you know they can do. They, they're hungry little critters. And we have, we have, uh, we have locusts, we have... Uh, cicada. We have other things that love to eat green things, and they'll just uh, they'll leave a, a vine or uh, perhaps a, a vegetable garden totally 
totally decimated. And that's what happened. Disaster had struck the southern kingdom of Judah, and there had been no prior warning. So this is especially appropriate for us as, as we think about things like um, the, the claims of COVID, as we think of um, other things that have happened to us in our country. In a matter of, of just a few days, weeks, months, everything can be gone. Everything that you have been familiar with can be changed, turned on its head, upside down and inside out. I hope and pray that you'll be praying for folks that are sick. Uh, Brother Aaron Robinson, for whom we prayed and God miraculously moved, uh, does not have COVID-19. He tested negative, but he does have pneumonia. So we want to pray for him. He has COPD, and of course, that makes him just uh, very weak. But uh, he sounded good when I spoke with him. The day after, it didn't look like he was going to make it, I'm sorry to have to say. Uh, praise the Lord, God turned it all around, and he still does that in answer to prayer. Received a call this afternoon from the Williams Auto, as you know, who, who has a compromised immune system and had breathing issues, tested positive for COVID-19. And we want to pray for this young man and for the family as well. These things, uh, whatever the illness may be, whatever, whatever you may experience in the natural realm, should cause believers to stop and reflect and once again refocus on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is never time for Christians to panic. Can I say that? It's never time for Christians to panic. But it is time for Christians to be prepared. We should always be prepared. We should be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. So I hope you'll be voting if you haven't voted already. I hope you'll be standing in line. And uh, if they don't arrest you, you can witness to everybody. We always use the voting experience as a witnessing opportunity. And we like to give tracts to everybody. We like to talk to everybody about Jesus. Because um, you may have a favorite candidate, but Jesus is at the very top of our list. Amen. All right. Joel is addressing the matter of their despair, their discouragement, their depression, uh, about, uh, about 800 years before Christ. His name is interesting. It means Jehovah his God or Yahweh is God. And it's appropriate because this book is about the sovereignty of God. We do not deny, we do not, uh, we do not condition the definition of the sovereignty of God. God is in charge. Nothing catches Him by surprise. Everything is in His capable hands, period. There's nothing else that you can say when you're talking about the providence of God. But our verse tonight that I want to take as a text is Joel and chapter 2. So turn there with me, please. Joel chapter 2. And I'm looking at verse 13, Joel chapter 2, as he addresses the condition of the people and the fact that there is going to be a future invasion, and then off in the future, even further, there is going to be great tribulation. Uh, he says in verse 13, And rend your heart, R-E-N-D, kids, look up here, R-E-N-D, rend means to tear, to rip to tear. So tear your heart and not your garments. That's strange. 
and turn unto the Lord your God. When we are exhorted in Scripture to turn, that is repentance. Repentance is threefold. It is, first of all, a command. We are commanded everywhere to repent. Secondly, God gives repentance. So it's a gift from God. I don't know how in the mystery of God this works, but I know that it does. I know that without repentance, we'll all perish. I know that's going to happen. So there has to be a turning. And it has been well outlined by one of my preacher mentors who said, there is a change of mind that affects the heart. And so the mind turns, the heart turns, and that causes the direction to be changed. So there is a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction that is true biblical repentance, as we understand it in the case of a, of a man, of a sinful man, a sinful woman. That's repentance. So when the Scripture says, Turn ye even to me with all your heart. That means turning away from whatever it is that has replaced God. That's always been the problem with these folks. That's been the problem with us too. John says at the end of 1 John, little children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. Idolatry is replacing our true God, our Savior Jesus Christ, with anything else. So, any other false god, any other person, any other idea, any other activity that takes the place of the will of God in our life, that is idolatry. What is the great grave danger today? Is it from COVID? No, though some have gotten sick, that's not the main problem. Is it from government? Uh, though our Bill of Rights protects us from humongous, giant, oppressive government, that's not the main problem. The main problem is our propensity to replace the one true God of the Bible with something or someone else. And that's what we have to examine. We have to look at very carefully. What has taken that first place that should belong to the Lord Jesus on the throne of our heart? What has taken that? What have we turned away from the Lord Jesus to? It can be any otherwise legitimate thing, any relationship, but if it's taken the place of Jesus Christ, it's idolatry. That, that thing, that idea, that, that activity, that person becomes the idol, becomes the small G-O-D God in place of the one true God. The Lord, as we read here, is saying through the prophet, tear your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. When God repents, it's not like man's repentance. When God repents, it is in response to the sincere uh, repentance, the spiritual uh, return of God's people to their moorings, their original moorings. So God will do that. He will turn away from what would have been the judicial re result of our being far away from Him, and He'll withhold that. And He does that. It's called mercy. He's very gracious. He's merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth Him 
of the evil. That's quite a resume for our God. Different from every other God. I was studying the other day. I want, I want to be able to get into the head of those who are members of Islam. I wanted to get into the heads of those people so that I can lovingly reach them with the truth. So I was studying Islam, and as I was studying Islam, I discovered how very different Allah is from Jehovah God. There is no comparison. And the people who try to bridge the two and say, oh, there's only one God, but we all worship the same God. You know, Allah is just another name for our Jehovah God. Wrong. They're opposites. They're totally different from one another. <laughs> what Allah does and asks and requires is different from what our holy God requires of us, which we can only receive by His grace. I want us to pray. Let's pray right now. Lord, I'm asking that you're going to help us tonight. This is a day, this is an hour, this is the time, a week when we as your people need to come to you and humble ourselves and pray and seek your face. Help us to truly repent, to turn from our wicked ways. And Lord, we're looking forward to hearing from heaven. We're asking now for an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, Holy Ghost revival. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now this phrase, rend or tear your heart and not your garments, is based on the, the, the cultural practice of people over there in the Bible lands, uh, in that neck of the woods. When they feel extreme grief, they express it in this way. They will tear their clothing from Bible times until the presence, present. Uh, when there is uh, indignation or concern, uh, horrible deep-seated feelings being experienced, they will tear their clothing. The upper garment, now I didn't know there was a science to this, but you have to read the manual. The upper garment is torn for a brother, sister, son, daughter, or wife. So if your, if your brother, sister, son, daughter, or wife dies or goes astray or leaves or is sick or whatever, and you're in mourning, you tear the upper garment. But if father or mother are dying or dead or sick or there's some problem, then you tear all the garments, upper and under as well, at the same time. And these garments, when they were torn in such a display, an outward display, were to be left torn and worn for 30 days. How many seamstresses, sewing persons do we have here tonight? Okay. Are you, are you compulsive? If you see something that's, like if I've got a pocket that's hanging down, do you just want to get a thread, Becky, and just sew it right up? Yeah. No. Yeah, Mark is, mm -hmm. Mark's trying to keep peace, but yes, understood. All right. Many people who are in the business of sewing up things can't stand to see things in a torn or a disheveled uh, sort of uh, state. And so this would be completely disconcerting to them. So I don't know how much, what percentage of the population is comprised of 
of compulsive sowers. But all the compulsive sowers are going to say, oh, you're, it's torn. Oh, you're, it's torn. It's torn. Which gives the person an opportunity to say, it's torn because of a brother, sister, uh, mother, father, or whatever, the, the reason. And so they express outwardly their deep feelings. And this is a cultural thing over there in Eastern countries. I've never personally seen it, but I've heard about it, and the Bible, of course, records it. When you do something often enough, you begin to go through the motions so that you're, you're still doing the same thing, but you're not feeling the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's kind of like going to a, a sports event and someone intercepts the football and runs the length of the field and dodges 11 potential tacklers and reaches the end zone and everybody in the stadium is going nuts. They're throwing their popcorn. They're throwing their beverage up in the air. They're just having a big time whooping it up, just having a great time. And they felt so good. It felt so good to do that that they all decide to come back next Tuesday. Now, there's no football game on Tuesday, but they decide they want to throw the popcorn up in the air and throw the beverage up in the air and hoop and holler, but there's nobody on the field. There's no touchdown being made. They're going through the motions because it does something uh, for their physical chemistry. They feel good about it. The same is true with feeling bad. We have had funerals in this area for just about every nationality and cultural group. There are a bunch of them who express themselves differently than, than we do. We, we weep. We, we weep on the passing of a loved one. We don't, we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we weep. We shed a tear. And um, we may lose control. The voice may crack and break when we're trying to speak or if we're trying to sing a song. And I've seen that so many times when people get tenderhearted and they're singing and, they're, and the voice breaks and, and it's, it's not something you get up and stomp out over. You say, oh, bless their heart. They're moved by it, and everybody and somebody out there say, take your time, sis. Take your time, brother. Take your time. Because they're feeling it deeply. We understand that. So we can express joy outwardly, can't we? We throw the popcorn in the air and the beverage. And we can express mourning and sadness and sorrow. Sometimes... In the third world, and when the third world comes in here, they bring their cultural mourning ritual. And that is, whoever can mourn the loudest and the longest, obviously, love the deceased the most. Remember how many times that's happened? And I've had, I've had people from those cultures who have become Americanized, pull me aside and say, now this is going to happen. On the front row, there are three daughters. They've been in competition all of their lives. Mom has passed, and the casket will be there. And they will take turns, each trying to outdo the other in mourning louder and longer than the other two to show 
that they loved mom more than the others. And that literally happened on our front row in this building. And we understood it because we had been prepped. You know, if I were standing up there in my Western thinking and just conducting the funeral, and all of a sudden, I mean, there's this loud outburst, you know, and I, after I come down from jumping up in the air, uh, getting back to what I was thinking and being on the subject would be somewhat difficult. But these people have been doing this for years and years in lots of different places, and it is a cultural thing, and it has become, not for everyone, and I'm not judging people's motives, but for a lot of people, as I was told by the coach, you know, from that culture who told me they're going to do this, that it has become an outward thing, and they do it on cue. They can do that thing, just like a, an actor and actress can shed tears on cue. They get good enough to do that. Well, a person could show sorrow on cue. The Jews in Joel had gotten to that point. They would, you know, we, we've had locusts come in, rip, you know, and they go into mourning, and they show it outwardly. They show it outwardly. That's it. And we have, I think, the equivalent of that also uh, when we consider all of the things that we do, calamities occur, problems occur, and we handle it the same way rather than dealing with it from the heart. We deal with it externally. Some people steal themselves to the point I'm talking about S-T-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-L, steal themselves. I'm tough. I'm tough. And they deal with it that way. They might deal with it logically. They might deal with it uh, based on uh, a philosophy of life, and they may just requote that philosophy of life. And that is not uh, an appropriate alternative. It's not don't show emotion. And it's not, don't just show emotion. But rather, it's this. Rend your heart. Tear your heart. The first place we need to go in any eventuality, any experience, any calamity, any disaster that occurs, whether it's some virus or it's some, you pick the name out of the alphabet, hurricane and the destruction thereof, whoever, whatever, comes our way, we are to what? Rend our heart. It's to be a heart matter. God deals with the heart. But so many people have gotten so good, adept at doing outwardly, it never gets to be a heart matter. Rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. So this outward sign of mourning that Joel is drawing attention to has taken the place of real heart activity. If we don't mourn, if we don't rejoice, if we don't operate in our everyday life from the heart, rather than going through the motions... We are going to be as guilty as the Jews in the time of Joel. Religion. Religion. 
is the practice outwardly of certain things going through certain motions without necessarily experiencing it inwardly. Because of that, I want to be careful how I say this. I thank God for everybody who has chosen to come out to church. But do you know, going to church can actually take the place of true heart belief, true heart repentance, true heart service for God, true heart Christian living. It's possible to go to church and say, I went to church, so-and-so didn't go to church, and we set ourselves on a pedestal above so-and-so because they didn't come to church. Re-entering re, re the church it has been difficult for some people, and they've come back and praised the Lord. And when they have re-entered church, and they've come because they couldn't stay away, I'm glad that's a heart experience. But when people come to church and they say, well, I need to be in church because I need to be seen. I need to, you know, it's, it's whatever. And they, they come up with something other than from the heart. We've got the same problem as the Jews. We read our Bible and we pray. But why do we read our Bible and pray? We have family Bible reading and prayer, but why do we do that? Why do we say we believe what we believe? Why do we, why do we pray when we pray? We need to look at the why of it. If we don't examine our heart, if we don't examine the motives, we are in danger of doing what the Jews did in Joel. That's it. All these things that I've mentioned and many, many more should have a place in our life. But it should be from the heart. When we receive the offering, when we stand to sing the hymn, when we have prayer requests or praises, are we just going through the motions or is it from the heart? When we go soul winning, when we go door to door, when we witness, when we pass a track, are we doing that from the heart? Why are we doing it? Are we doing it because it's the right thing to do and praise the Lord for duty? If we're not right with God, at least do it because it's the right thing, but we should be doing it from the heart. Our motive should be right. And only we and God know huh, if our heart motive is right. And so tonight, as I bring this message, I know and God knows about my heart, but you don't. You and God know about your heart, but I don't. It becomes very personal. Very personal. Let me say that man is preconditioned to outward religion first and foremost because we have, <laughs> we have this standard to maintain. We have to keep up this, I hate to say it, this appearance. We have to keep up this activity. We have to continue it. But what about the heart? What about the heart? That is the spiritual reason Everything else is the carnal reason. We need to put to death all of the fleshly activity that has taken the place of true heart experience when it comes to the Lord. Now, the inward is more difficult than the outward. The inward requires our examination of ourselves as, 
as Paul says, let a man examine himself. We have to examine it. We can't, you know, other than search me, O God, you know, Holy Spirit, search me because I'm not very objective and the Holy Spirit is God and He's objective. But other than that, I can't say, uh, uh, Brother Van Cleek, would, would you search my heart, please? Can't do it. Can't do it. And he can't say, Brother Winnegar, would you search my heart? I can't search your heart. I can see the outward, but I can't search the heart. And I'm in no position to judge anybody because of this huge piece of wood that's in my eye. I have to do with God. I'm talking about spiritual business. I have to do that, and only I can do that. Nobody else can do that. We have a problem about this, too, and the reason is we tend to love our sin. We tend to really become fond of it. It's kind of like taking in a, a, a pet poisonous reptile. And uh, we're just going to you know, keep that pet poisonous reptile around, but someday that pet poisonous reptile is going to bite and you're going to die. We don't want to get rid of that pet, you know, whatever you named it, because you've become fond, I've become fond of it. But it's got a killer instinct. And your sin and mine, our pet sin, will destroy us. Our pet sin will destroy us because we won't face up to our true need, which is heart. Tear your heart, not your garment. Not an outward religious activity, but an inward search. Search me, O God. Know my heart. There's another obstacle to rending or tearing our heart, and that is we really don't like somebody else to be the God in our life. I know that sounds blasphemous, but it becomes comfortable, familiar for us to play God in certain parts of our life. We haven't really sought God's will. We just assumed it was God's will. And we thought it, we felt it, so it must be God's will. And so we proceed on down that road, having not truly asked the Lord to guide us. And then when we suspect that maybe that was not God's will because of what's going on and, and, the, and the clues that we're getting, uh, we don't want to say, Lord, I really blew it, what I did was I chose without you. I played God. Rip your heart, not your garment. Don't allow the ritualism of the outer practice of our life to, be, to take the place of that which is inward. So we're preconditioned, preconditioned to everything that's wrong in this area. Heart tearing is personal. It's personal. Heart tearing is practical as well. It causes us to look to Jesus Christ, to keep our eyes on Him. Because we have to say, Lord, tell me. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what needs to go. Tell me what needs to be dealt with. Setting aside the downward pull and the obstacle 
presented by our preconditioned, our, our, our desire for outward religion rather than true inward heart change. We say, Lord, I need you to show me. I need you to tell me. And much better now than by and by when I stand in his presence, I'll wish I had given him more as we've sung tonight. We come, we give ourselves just as we are. That's it. That's all there is to it. We give ourselves and nothing else. And if you've given everything that you can already, there's nothing left to give but yourself. And so you bring yourself to God and you say, I've made a colossal mess of this because I've played God. I've made choices that seem to be the right choice, but it's not the choice that you directed, Lord. So I don't, I, I can't say that, that I am directed by the Lord. I can't say that I am following the Lord. I'm just doing some nice, some good things, some acceptable things, a stamp, a good, good housekeeping stamp of approval kind of things. But that's not necessarily the way you're leading, Lord. I leave it all to you, to your hand. And Lord, would you guide me? Would you direct me? This requires our getting quiet in his presence and shutting our mouth and allowing him to speak to us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? How long has it been since you really let the Lord do the talking? How long has it been since you tore your heart and not your outer garment? How long has it been since there was real, heartfelt repentance? And tonight I want to urge you, if God is speaking to your heart, to slip out and come down and have a word of prayer. You come alone or come with others. But I want you to consider the fact that it may be exactly what the Lord wants you to do as a start, as a beginning. Don't just go through the motions and do the right things as you have assessed them, but rather do the things that He directs from the heart, in the heart. That's it, in the heart. Not outward, not external, not religious, not the accepted, the approved things, but the things that God says. Deal with those aspects of your life on that basis. How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message tonight spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Yes, amen. I'm going to urge you to come when the invitation is given. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. If you're not sure you're saved, then pray from your heart right now something like this and mean it. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive Him into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. As I face a coming trial, I'm afraid. For though you told me
Close to your heart. 